Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am TJ Van Toll, and with me today on the panel, I've got Jack Harrington. Hello. And Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is Mike Elchik, which hopefully I, I did justice there to the pronunciation. Uh, Mike, welcome to React Roundup. Why don't you tell people uh, who you are, why you're famous, and if I pronounced your name correctly. <laughs> hey, GJ. How are you? Yeah, uh, you pronounced it uh, uh, perfectly. My name is Michael Che. I'm a developer in Argentina, but working for US clients and clients all around the world. I do full stack JavaScript development, and I always uh, love have a thing for React. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I know there's a variety of things we want to talk to talk about today, but one of them is kind of revolving around the full stack nature of this. And I know when we were talking pre-show, you you mentioned your interest in some of this the full stack stuff and you threw around some some words and phrases I'm less familiar with. So maybe do you want to introduce, like talk about what you do there and the sort of things that excite you in that space? Yeah. So we as devs like building products, right? And products uh, normally like need a backend. So although we are we like talking about React and the front end and Next.js and Svelte and all these cool frameworks, we eventually need a database and somewhere to put our our logic, our private business logic, and that ends up being a backend, right? And right now the the backend is uh, it's not as trendy as the front end at least to talk about it on Twitter. So as like, it's, it's crazy, but it's 2022 and uh, the gold standard for the backend is Express. And if you look at the Express repo, like the last commit, it's, it's several months ago. I, I don't know really. But there are, when you are tasked with building a product end-to-end, -end, you need to also like focus on the backend and see what's the best way to make it talk to the frontend and to the database. And that's like what full stack means, like having a cohesive system that helps you get a, a faster developer, like productivity experience of that. Yeah, it's funny because like back in my day, the the back you didn't write backends in JavaScript, right? You had your your Java developers or .NET developers, or if you go back PHP. far enough, PHP or Perl or whatever was driving your backend. So it's it's kind of cool now that. JavaScript is starting to become well. It, it's past mainstream, but like there's there's lot more there's more options that we have nowadays. So you mentioned 
express as as one potential path? What are some other like frameworks approaches that that you like using in in that sort of space? Well, there there are many. Like Express is the one that most people know, but there's also Adonis JS that doesn't get the recognition it deserves. It's like the closest you can get to Ruby on Rails, but if it were made on, on, on JavaScript. And then you have uh, Nest.js, not to be confused with Next.js. I, I believe you talked about Nest <laughs> in the past. I personally don't like Nest very much with all the decorators. And, and really? Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hot, hot take. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm on the Adonis bandwagon if I have to choose. But there's one that captured my attention some time ago, which is Blitz.js. And Blitz.js, it's made by a guy named Brandon Bayer and, and a team of, of like open source collaborators. And Blitz.js is basically a, a framework that sits, uh, that sits on top of uh, Next.js. And Blitz.js gives you, in the same way that Next.js allows you to define pages by creating a file, Blitz.js allows you to define endpoints uh, like an API by creating a file on the file system. And then it allows you to import those API endpoints on the front end. And at compile time, it will remove those endpoints from the client side and it will like generate a client, like imagine like a, an Axios get, Axios post, fetch, something like that. It will obviously use fetch, I imagine. I, I haven't looked into <laughs> it. Yeah. But yeah, it allows you to import uh, API endpoints into the client and then it will remove them when you compile the, the thing, which is super interesting. Why is it interesting? Well, because when you import a function, into the front end and nothing screams, you will get all the type of information. Like you need to call the API endpoint with uh, certain parameters. It will tell you which, what parameters those are. You will get some information back. It will give you the type, the return type of the, of the API endpoint. And you will forget uh, everything related to response, uh, data, errors. Errors are handled Super beautifully. I don't know if that's a construct in English, but you can <laughs> throw an error on the back end and you can catch it in the front end. That's, that's incredible. They abstract all of that away. So I, I worked on building a, a full stack app on Blitz and it was like a really nice experience. I believe, wasn't there some news recently that Blitz is changing up their approach? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, and I, I am so sad about it. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Um, yeah, no, I, I've read the thread on, on GitHub. I've, they are pivoting. They didn't have the growth that they wanted. Oh, right, yeah. Um. So they are pivoting to, like, preserve the things that people like the most. For example, they gave you authentication out of the box. So they were keeping that. But all the full stacky things are getting thrown out, I believe. I think you should talk to Brandon Bayer more than me about this. But yeah, I believe they will partner with TRPC, which is also something super interesting in this space and does something similar. I can explain what TRPC is if, if you want. TRPC is a library made by, the, by a guy named Alex. It, he goes by Cat on Twitter. Let me, let me search him. 
One second, I want to give. Yes, yeah, his Twitter handle is alex.js. And he says, a single dev, he made an, an incredible library called TRPC. And TRPC does works by using a little hack, uh, which is you can, on the front end, import type definitions of the back end with the import type statement, which is different from your normal import statement. The import type statement gets removed at compile time. So that allows you in the front end to import things from the back end without worrying about uh, exposing business logic, uh, secrets, or, or things like that. So TRPC uh, allows you to structure your code in a certain way to define a, a router on the back end with queries and mutations like things to retrieve and mutate data. And in the front end, you can import the type definition of, of everything you've defined on the back end and work with that. So in your form, in React, on the on submit handler, you can hit, like you can call the TRPC query or, or mutation and you will get, again, type inference on the parameters that it receives and type inference on the return type of the, of the endpoint. So is TRPC actually working with a database directly or is it just like like surface level for API type of stuff? TRPC uh, has two libraries. It's a client for React and uh, a server library for you to implement in your server. If you use, if you use it with nothing else, it lifts uh, a Node.js server for you. You can also pair it with Express in case you already have an Express application. But TRPC does nothing related to databases. If you want to connect everything full end-to-end -end, like client to database, then you need another piece of the puzzle, which is Prisma. Prisma is, uh, is pretty famous nowadays, and it's well-deserved. Uh, it's an amazing library. It's uh, su super well-engineered. Prisma is basically an ORM of the sorts. Many people don't call it an ORM, but it, it serves the same purpose, like connects your database to the backend. Prisma does the same that TRPC does for connecting your client to your backend with your backend to your database. So it gives you type information of what parameters you can do, uh, you can request in a query and gives you type information of what the query will return. So you can do complex joins, nested queries, all of that in just, just a single function call with a, a complex uh, JSON that they make you feel. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once but you do it, you're good. What, sir? But, but once you do it, you're good. You're, you're you know, all that complex yeah. JSON. Yeah, but it's not hard because as you're typing the JSON, you get uh, type inference. So mm -hmm. it already tells you what keys you can write and what keys you can't. So it's super easy. And in that way, you get something that, that's called end-to-end uh, -end typing and gives your product an incredible level of security. Because if you change, for example, with a migration, a type on a database column, your Next.js or re your React view will scream at you and will tell you, hey, you can call, let's say you changed a string to a number. I don't know why you would make that, but imagine the situation. Uh, you can call the length property on this string anymore because this property is now a number. And now you will be, you won't be able to ship a broken version of your front end. And so you will get a super cohesive product, which is super, super nice. Yeah, cool. So just a little bit of 
inside baseball there. Does TRPC, what is TRPC? What is the protocol there? Is it still JSON or is it like a binary protocol like GRPC? I don't know if it's a binary protocol. I haven't hmm. looked uh, under the hood. I don't think it has. I think it's like a, a play on the words, but maybe it is. And, and Alex will send me a DM saying, hey, of course it is a binary protocol. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. Like I, I, I like gRPC, but it's a binary protocol, so I can't see it, right? I love the, the value of JSON is like I send somebody to the server, I can literally just go into my network panel, I can see it, I can read it, I can see the payload. And gRPC, I know that there's Chrome extensions to help, but it's, it is a binary format that's all like smushed, very efficient, but it's also, you know, hard to it's debug. hard to read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could look. We could look and add it later to to the episode. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm looking it. right now. Actually, let's edit it in right now. <laughs> there you go. We we ran the search. <laughs> so, Mike, one thing I'm curious about is how you got started using Adonis. Like you said, Express is kind of the gold standard that people default to. Nest is is better known. There's a lot of Koa and Happy and kind of other server node-powered server framework. So how did Adonis really appeal to you? And how did you get, I guess, get buy-in if you were potentially selling this into development teams? Because people, a lot of times, if they haven't heard of it, or it's not like the hot new thing, are not necessarily game to try something new and different. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great question. Well, Really, this comes to like looking at the documentation and seeing the, the level of features and also the, the, the level of detail of the documentation, which is super important if you're going, if you're going to base like uh, a business on top of that. So Adonis does a great job at that. The documentation is amazing. It has recipes for normal things that you, that you want to do. It has a strong community. It's, it, it has, it ticks all the boxes, really. I think it's not very popular nowadays, or at least not as popular as it, as it deserves to be, because there's a trend going to the, um, to the Jamstack, which Adonis has nothing to do with that. Adonis is more like a Ruby on Rails thing. I think people that want that kind of, of things goes for Ruby on Rails. Like, <laughs> But yeah, Adonis uh, uh, deserves more praise than it has. It has an ORM that's called Lucid. That's pretty amazing. It gives you like uh, role-based access controls. It has a rendering engine for you to um, have views and, and interpolate your views. It has, uh, I believe it has queues. It has lots of things. Like it has an event system for you to throw events, catch them. And it's uh, made with TypeScript, so everything's typed. So you know you will have a little bit more security on the back end. So, so yeah, that's my opinion on Atonis. <laughs> so if it's, I mean, it does sound really good the way that you're describing it. So how does it, how does it differ, or is it the same level of complexity to hook this up with, say, a React front end, like just to create React app or something? Because Express, it's pretty simple. You just set up a couple proxies, and it's ready to start passing data. So is it as simple with Adonis as well? Yeah, yeah. Adonis allows you to define uh, API endpoints that return and accept JSON. 
So mm -hmm. you can like very easily deploy an API. You don't need to render HTML or anything like that. Really nowadays, I don't know why anyone would use Express instead of Adonis. Maybe the only reason would be the simplicity and the overhead of learning an, a new a new framework. But yeah, Adonis is much more robust than Express. Like even the creators tweet. I don't know, like literally, we don't understand why people keep using Express. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, they they were Most of the stuff is built on top of Express, right? I mean, at the end of the all day, all the middleware, yeah, yeah. You know, at the at the low, the, the actual like HTTP level is generally like if you do like NestJS, NestJS sits on top of ExpressJS. Yeah, yeah. Like with Nest, you can pick between Express and Fastify, something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, Adonis doesn't use any. Adonis is its own thing. Oh, it's okay. its own thing. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. All right. Not messing around. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of work that's gone into that framework. Mm. It's we are on version five, so five iterations. So something good will be in that framework for you, <laughs> probably. Be, because mm -hmm. it's custom, does it make hosting weirder, more challenging at all, or can you toss it on any sort of like? I don't know, or, or would like platforms like Netlify and stuff support it? Netlify, I don't know. I haven't used it. I'm on the Vercel team. No, <laughs> stop joking. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I I always deployed Adonis on Heroku. Okay, but but yeah, it, it's it's simple. It's just like uh, Node run server, something like that. Okay, super simple. The reason page that I wouldn't use Adonis with a React frontend is that it's pretty complex to get this end-to-end -end typing uh, that I now love and don't like not using because uh, Adonis won't give you the typings for the API endpoints, unlike TRPC or unlike Blitz.js. So there's that. Now, when you say typing there, you specifically mean TypeScript typing or... Yeah. Just, okay. So like automatically getting types for like, stuff that's in your database consistently throughout? Am I interpreting that correctly? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm I'm of the idea that you need to write as little duplicate code as possible. So if you're mapping things from the database to the backend manually, then you've gotta, you're losing there. If you're manually uh, mapping the things from the backend to the frontend, you're losing there. And you're losing on uh, developer hours, on developer speed, on developer experience. Uh, that will cost you much more. It will be. It will have more bags. Everything's worse. Like each time you <laughs> need to to map one thing to another, you will lose conventions because in order to do that effectively, you need to have strong conventions on a team, and team changes, and conventions come and go. So. It's super hard. As a well, I think you lose sync. I mean, that's that's the real deal. Is like, at the end of the day, if you got the database, the database has its own types, and then the server has its types, and the client has its types. Exactly. Right? At some point in there, one of those types they're not going to align. You know, you're going to change your string to a number, and exactly. uh, boom, blow up. Right. If you have end to end typing, right. If you say, okay, the database type is truth. And then you just generate, you generate out the, the server types, you generate out the client types. Then at the point when, you know, you just, you make a change to the server, you say, okay, cool, I was wrong, this is a string, whatever, <laughs> or the client database, 
Next thing you know, you're boom, 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 boom. And, you know, now the client's like, oh, wait, uh, I'm thinking of the number or whatever. And there you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's more than it's a number or it's a string. It has to do with the type abstractions that you create in your business logic. For, hmm. for example, what does the user type mean? Well, the user is an object that has the name property. It has the last name property. Like it has is admin property, like a Boolean sort of stuff. And why would you duplicate all of that abstraction that you made for you on the back end and duplicate it on the front end? You already have it in one place. Use it as, as a single source of truth. You will get very little errors from doing that. Yep. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Paige and I have actually ran into this sort of firsthand because the app we've been working on, and we don't have much of a choice because the API we're working with is external, but Mm -hmm. it is funny how much logic it takes up just like parsing the stupid thing and like (laughs) object types and like that ends up being the biggest source of like messy code and then all you have to test all of that and it's it's just a hot mess so i I definitely (laughs) kind of get the the benefits or the, the the argument you're going for there it makes a lot of sense yeah and there's also a problem that i don't know if you experienced but when i was using adonis and 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 the react application the convention for for a Postgres uh, database is to use snake case for the attribute names. Mm-hmm. And then the convention for JavaScript is camel case for ev- everything else. Yep. So then you get like a, 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 an incredible jump. Every, nothing works un- unless you yeah. map it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh-huh. that, that's insane. Yeah, and uh, that, to... <laughs> nobody wants to write that mapping code either. That's like the worst. <laughs> Yeah. And you and, wonder and why it's moment? broken and undefined and very Oh, uh, right. And you're like, oh, wait a second. It's a, it's a capitalization error? No. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've spent an hour on a capitalization error. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, to be fair, Adonis has, has a way of like doing the mapping for you and keeping everything typed. So good for them. They acknowledge <laughs> this problem. But it's a problem still for Express applications, for example. It's not a problem if you use Prisma, for example. Prisma also allows you to to bypass this problem because Prisma allows you to define a a database schema in their own language. And the convention for the language of the database schema is to just use like JavaScript's camel case notation. So everything still works and everything's camel case and you never need to think about this problem ever again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one thing I was wondering about is how does Adonis do with testing? Because I know that with Express and things like that, you can use Jest and that works pretty well across the stack. But does Adonis also support that sort of unit testing? 
super interesting question. The the Adonis people, uh, I, Amman Berg, I believe he's the founder of Adonis. They made their own testing framework for Adonis. It's called, I believe it's called Japa. But the idea of like, this is like the big idea. You can go and read the, the blog post on, on why they don't use Jest to test the, the backend. But it's pretty, it's a, it's a good idea. The idea is this. When you test your API, it's a good practice to test it in conjunction with your database. So like if you're hitting an endpoint that modifies some the database, like do not mock the database. Leave the, the database running and like make it alter the value in the database, bring you the result back, etc. The thing is that Jest is a library that was made to test mainly frontends. So it can run many things in parallel. And the thing with running tests on your backend in parallel is that your tests will need like to start from a blank state, uh, modify, add some data, retrieve the results. And if, if all of them are running parallel, you will maybe get race conditions or like if you're not cleaning everything all the time and that's the same as running them sequentially, you get into this uh, sort of weird terrain where just doesn't seem to be the best option. So they made this their own framework for testing, which is especially good for backend testing in order for you to like test each API endpoint as a, as a transaction, like the, the transaction, meaning the database concept of transaction. I, this is something I read a while ago, so <laughs> it might be a little bit blurry. Uh, sorry if I said anything wrong here, but you can go and read the blog post to get the whole idea. Cool. TJ, well, you have a question? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I know like this is a bit of a pivot, but I know you've also done some work around animations in React as well. So I wonder if you can talk through some of the work you've you've done there and some of the stuff you've written about. Yeah. So um, I started like studying a little bit about animations because I started looking at the what were the SaaS products that I liked the most. And I realized that I was super biased on what their landing pages looked like. <laughs> and like I was ju judging the book by its cover. Like if your landing page was trash, I thought your SaaS was complete trash. And there were the, the best products had like subtle animations here and there. And they have a knife for, for detail. And I said, I need to learn how to, how to make this thing. So, so I delved around and looked at a few libraries and basically ended up with Framer Motion. Framer Motion is a library made by the team at Framer. Framer is a collaborative design tool that allows you to like, it's similar to Figma, but it's more, most, uh, more focused on, on animations. I believe I haven't used it. Uh, sorry, framework. <laughs> <laughs> but I like your library. That's their marketing plan, right? They make an open source uh, library and now they get talked about in a podcast. So they're great. Go check them out. Their library, Framer Motion, is amazing. It allows you to do all sorts of, of things. It allows you, for example, to define an attribute called layout on, on your React components. And that automatically makes the components animate every time you change their position or their mm. size. They will animate uh, from the, the initial state to the to the finished state. For example, if you have container and all the items are in like flex start position, if you change that 
with a toggle, uh, who knows, to a flex end, they will move across the screen if you like specify the layout property on your React components. There's only one thing that you need to do, which is like instead of using a div or a span or a p tag, you need to import a motion library and use motion.div or motion.span. And that will allow you will allow the elements to take this layout property. There is also another thing called shared li- layouts, which allows you to animate from one component to another component. So we're not talking about animating the position of a single component. We're talking about transitioning between one component and another. Mm. So for example, try to visualize this example. You have you have a list of items, right? And when you click an element of that list, that you get a modal opened, like with more information on that item. If you give the the modal the same layout ID as the item on the list, and you specify the layout property on both items, when you click the list on the item, the same list item will like expand into the modal. So yeah, it's, it's super simple to do. And it gives you like a lot of visual feedback on what's happening because it's like, it, it has to do with the, um, the material UI guidelines for design that they wanted to like show you what's happening, like with the, the transitions. Anyways, this doesn't have anything to do with material UI. Just talking about the concept of like showing you where informa- information is coming from uh, visually. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something I remember from Adobe times was animations are best when they actually are providing context. It's like, oh, I went from here to here. I'm right. looking at this now and I'm, I'm now not looking at this. You know, it's it's not the gratuitous stuff where it's like I, I have a restaurant in town where it's like, oh, I want to order now. And it's like I kind of click it and it's like a 500 millisecond like panel open. And I'm like, no, I just wanted to order. Right. I mean, have a second to wait for that. So, you know, having that kind of like feedback, give you that context. And, and that's when it's actually significant. And that's when it's not gratuitous. Right. Yeah, it's like when you when you minimize a window in an operating system, how it just does that slight little animation to show it going down into the like the, the dock area. It's like those are nice because it's like it's not in your way. It's providing some context. It's like, oh, OK, well, if I want that window back now, I know where it went. And I feel like web apps could do more like I still don't know why like native apps compared to web apps. Native apps are far more willing to reach for animations than I feel like your average your average run-of-the-mill web app typically is fairly sterile in terms of like <laughs> it doesn't really do a lot. Like even for like you open up the app of like even some like banks and stuff, they'll throw out some fun animations here or there. Whereas your random banking web app is the most mundane, right? It won't That's take won't, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which again, to, to Jack's point, I'm not suggesting they like make things spin and buzz and whirl around <laughs> or anything, but <laughs> Some of these, right. like looking at frame or motions, so you're right. Like, lo- like it does make whether or not, whether or not it's right or not, it does make it look more appealing, more fun to use if you do it right. More, I don't know. Can I jump in just for a second to defend the web, though? For like, <laughs> you know, honestly, the the mobile folks they deal with like Android, they deal with like iOS, you know, and there's always been these animations. Whereas we have to deal with IE8, 
you know <laughs> and i ain't, ain't, ain't having that yeah. well yeah fine but like maybe i don't know if you have an older <laughs> app like you know like the, the yeah. ie 11 right uh it's terrifying yeah. Yeah. yeah you have to you know i guess with the mobile discussion mobile has always been more touch oriented because we know that there's a very limited amount of space that a user is going to be dealing with on their phone. So they have to swipe and click and hopefully not have to expand and and collapse stuff. But that's kind of inherently built in. Whereas with desktop, depending on how large your monitor or your screen is, you can put a lot more stuff in there. So at, Mm. at once and users don't have to necessarily go through multiple motions to get somewhere. So, and like, and exactly like you said, we're dealing with a lot more browsers than just Safari or Android, which is pretty much all you've got when you're on a mobile phone, unless you're using a Windows phone or BlackBerry or something, but that's a whole other <laughs> set of problems Blackberry. that you're opening yourself up to. So. I don't know. I was, I was on the native side, so I can be, I can be the native <laughs> argument person because your native developer would say, yeah, but there's also 10,000 Androids and, there's yeah. all sorts of iPhones with different resolutions and there's there's iPads and there's people, there's different software, ver- there's different Android versions, different iOS versions. So it's not exactly a, a utopia there either. And they, well, they sure. managed to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, the, the operating I, system makes up for a lot in that case, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, Paige's insight was great. Like mobile phones have like limited space. So... All the animation that can show you where data is coming from and going to are like super cool. But on the on the web, you have a big monitor, just slap everything there, let the user like drag the mouse to where he needs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's great insight. Cool. Well, Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Are there any topics that we've missed? Anything you wanna dive into more details on or anything we haven't touched on? Well, just to complete what or talk about framer motion. Yeah. You can do many, many, many other things with motion that the ones that we've discussed here. You can have uh, something that's called variants, which allow you to animate a uh, whole trees of React elements, like the, the animation where on, let, let's go back to the list where you, you need to list a list of items. <laughs> Like you can uh, stagger the childrens of the list a little bit, like delay them by one second each so they show up in a ladder way. That's also super easy to do. You can also like allow elements to be draggable. You can use uh, scroll position animations like the TechCrunch thing that shows you when you, you, you finish reading the article. You can do that. So there are many things that you can do with uh, the motion library. Yeah, and I'd encourage people too, because I've been just sort of toying with their homepage. They have some really cool ways of showing them too. So it's just, you'll find the link to the to Framer Motion in the show notes. And it's just kind of a fun web page to look around on and just see what it makes possible. Maybe maybe it'll inspire you to, to put some of these things in your own app. <laughs> when it comes to animation libraries, that really is something, a, a book you want to judge by its cover. Right. It's going to be a good library. <laughs> it's, it's only right. a cover, actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's no <But> book. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, their own website isn't good, though, that's, that's an indication. That's great. a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Exactly. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. 
We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, why don't we transition here into picks? And Paige, do you want to kick us off today? Sure. I will kick us off with a book that I've actually been reading. And this was one that was sent to me by one of our uh, leadership team at work. And I really hope that it gets sent to everybody at work because it's so far, it's been really good. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. And it's been in print for probably 20 years or so, but it's a really unique it's told from a very unique perspective where the characters in the book are fictional, but the situations that they're describing and how to be a better teammate, a better partner to your spouse or to your kids, it really is easy to apply to kind of seeing yourself in these situations. So I would definitely say that, it, you know, it's $10 on Amazon US, so it's not a big book. It's not, it's a couple hundred pages probably, and I've been reading it for the last couple weeks for 10 or 15 minutes every day. The chapters are very short, but it's really a good reminder and a good way to start seeing how you can be a better leader, both within the company or just a better person in general to people, the people around you and helping, you know, succeed and be better as a company or better as a group. So I would definitely say that it's worth the investment. I've really, really enjoyed it a lot more than some of the self-help books that I've read in the past. <laughs> Jack, what picks do you have? So I'm going to go with one. I don't know. Maybe you've done it before, but I, it, when you go through the long, dark nights of Portland and Oregon, and it's just so dark, and you're like, oh, I just want something uplifting. I, I Encanto, this Disney film that is just so bright and so beautiful and so fun and has such a, a great story to it. It just kind of lifts up your whole day. And I, and it's kind of a cool contrast. I've seen lately that TV shows are so dark. And they're not just dark content, just actually physically dark. Like, what, I can't actually see anything going on <laughs> on the screen. Or it's yeah, all like Matrix style. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, actually, the Matrix, the newer one was brighter than the older ones, which are all <laughs> this, like, pasty olive green drab awfulness but Encanto is just it, just it is an explosion of color on your tv right. and it is just like wow that is awesome and it's just so much fun to see and the kind of and as i say like the, the story is just so great and it's just so uplifting so if you're kind of like oh this you know and the whole like uh you know pandemic and the sentence never end and you just want something fun in your life just you know watching Encanto, it's great it's great for kids great for adults great for the whole family just just watch it I'm going to have to do it. We haven't checked it out yet. I, I think it's probably on Disney Plus at this oh, yeah. point. Okay. Yeah. We're we're usually several months behind the times here. <laughs> so it's coming into our cycle about now. Get this issue up. Yeah. Because you're going to cry. Of course uh, you're going to yeah. cry. You know you're going to cry. Pixar movies always. Oh, every time. <laughs> every time. Cool. My pick this week is Wordle, which um, is <laughs> Sweeping very the world. hipster, very, very trendy, but very it's trendy. actually... It's kind of fun if if you've been living under a rock and have somehow not heard of this. It's it's a game. It's a simple game where you just try to guess a five letter word and you get six tries to do it. Um, but it's just really well executed. It's a web app and which is also kind of fun. It's a really simple web app. Like the, they did a really good job on the UX and it's a once a day thing. I think that's kind of its main gimmick. You can only there's a word that everybody does every day. 
So it can be kind of a fun just household challenge or, or just challenge amongst friends and stuff. And I've enjoyed playing it in the morning. I'm not very good at it. My wife beats me every day, but I get to <laughs> I get to gloat over her the like once one out of every like once usually once a week I beat her and I can <laughs> hold it over her. So that gives me great joy. <laughs> so that is my pick. Mike, what picks do you have for us? Yeah, I will I will pick a movie like Jack did. Lately I watched a movie called The Hand of God, which has I know that I'm Ar- Argentinian. It has very little to do with Maradona, very little. It's the story of uh, Paolo Sorrentino, which is the actual director of the movie. He's telling his own story. Uh, Paolo Sorrentino won an Oscar for his previous movie called The Great Beauty, which I encourage you to watch it. It's, it's even better than The Hand of than the hand of God. I'm, I'm, I'm picking the hand of God because I assume that you've maybe watched The Great Beauty. The Great Beauty is an, an incredible movie. Like, go watch it right now. But if you want something more trendy and you want to be able to talk to your peers about something trendy, you can watch The Hand of God. I believe it's Netflix. And it's a um, really nice movie. It's about cinema. It's about childhood. It's about the story of uh, a cinema director. So... Super interesting. That nice. sounds awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, this has been a lot of fun. My my last question for you is if people want to reach out, if they want to follow you, what's the best place to do so? Yeah, so you can read my blog at michaelche.com. That's M-I-K-E-A-L-C-H-E. I hope I spelled that correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter on Mike uh, Lodash. Alche, uh, which is the same, but with a low dash in the middle between Mike and Alche. Awesome. Cool stuff. And we'll make sure to get those in the show notes if people want just easy to click on links as well. Yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And until until next week, everybody. Yeah, until next week. See you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.